In partnership with Paizo, the No Direction Network welcomes you to our PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage. While you enjoy your PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar recordings, remember that these were recorded online and that some minor audio and connection issues are to be expected. Hey everybody, welcome to PaizoCon Online and uh, the Kingmaker panel. We've got a bunch of uh, illustrious professionals here to talk about what we're doing with the, the Kingmaker project. Um, I'm James Jacobs, I'll be the moderator. I'm the creative director for Pathfinder. I help develop and uh, kind of steamroll the original Kingmaker Venture Path through its paces back in the day. And who else we got here? I'm Lisa Stevens, I'm the CEO at Paizo. I'm um, also helping James uh, develop uh, the Kingmaker Adventure Path. Uh, we worked together on Rise of the Rune Lords back in the day, and we had so much fun, we thought, let's do it again. Yep. I'm Mark Moreland. I am uh, Paizo's Director of Brand Strategy, um, and I worked uh, very closely with uh, Owlcat Games, who did the computer RPG adaptation uh, of Kingmaker that we're now... Um, adapting back into tabletop so uh, i'm uh, i'm helping uh, with that aspect as well and i am jason nelson i'm the ceo of legendary games we partnered up with paizo to create the kingmaker anniversary edition special um shoot four books worth of stuff which we'll talk about in a minute i also wrote one of the original chapters of the kingmaker adventure path number five war of the river kings and shoot about a hundred other things for paizo but um, this is a great project to work on, and I'm excited for you guys to learn more about it. Yeah, it's it's kind of um, this is the I think the fourth Adventure Path compilation that I've worked on, going back, picking up what we did the first time, combining it into a big book, and it's uh, it's hands down the biggest one that we've ever we've ever tackled. It's it's on par with the biggest project we've attempted, you know, at Paizo. So it's pretty exciting just seeing it all come together. Um, so just to get it out in front of everybody right at the start, there's going to be spoilers for the Kingmaker Adventure Path in this panel. We're going to try to keep them as as kind of succinct and non-invasive as possible. But uh, who knows what kind of truth bombs we're going to be dropping about bad guys or secret plots or anything like that. So if you're going to be playing in the new upcoming Adventure Path, um, try to keep your player knowledge and your character knowledge a little separate. So anyway... Um, with Kingmaker, uh, Kingmaker was, well, let's see, it, it was over 10 years ago. It was about 10 years ago that we did it. This is the 10th anniversary, more or less, of uh, the Kingmaker Adventure Path. And um, when uh, we first started it up, it was, um, uh, Wes Schneider and I were, were trying to figure out what we wanted to do for the, the Adventure Path after Council of Thieves, which was the first official Pathfinder Adventure Path for our own RPG. And... Um, we had a lot of people requesting adventures that don't have like uh, like giant big bad guys that that you only fight at the very end. That the entire thing is kind of spread out, like kind of like you start the first adventure, you know who the bad guy is, but you can't fight them until the end of it. They also wanted a lot of more of a sandbox experience, and it was a sandbox experience that we really kind of honed in on. We wanted to do an adventure path where there was stuff to do from first level all the way up to where we got like seventeen level or something like that. Um, but we wanted to make sure that 
the player characters got to choose what direction you went. And having sort of an exploration sort of build your own kingdom plot uh, seemed like the best idea at the time. And so Wes and I kind of locked ourselves into one of the uh, um, conference rooms at Paizo. And as we did in several of our uh, brainstorm sessions, we started drawing like weird arcane symbols and sizzles and drawings up on the whiteboard. For Kingmaker, it was really kind of devolved into us trying to like figure out how do how are we going to build a kingdom? How do people build their cities? What do we do if we build an adventure path where the main city that uh, it takes place is one we can't provide a map for because the player characters are building it? Uh, so we went through a lot of you know kind of just brainstorm ideas and uh, came up with uh, what ended up being one of the more popular adventure paths that we published. Um, you can see, uh, up, I guess there, I don't know where it is on, on your screen, but uh, we've got an illustration that we did for uh, from Wayne Reynolds for the computer game the, that we uh, did. And uh, it shows uh, one of our favorite monsters from the Kingmakers uh, series, the Jabberwock, or as it has been called, the Wabberjock in some places. Um, but uh, it's there, uh, a menacing a big party of uh, characters. We'll talk about all of that later. Um, but so with Kingmaker, the whole idea was that your, uh, your party of adventures starts at first level and you go get kicked out into the wilderness and have to go explore and start, you know, uh, building up your own kingdom. And uh, we've got uh, several, as you go along, you're going to be facing different villains along the way. So I can, the next slide will start showing some of those villains. There's the, the Stag Lord. He's one of the very first bad guys that is up against you. Your initial goal is to go defeat the bandits that are lurking in the woods, and they're led by the Stag Lord. Um, oh, one other thing I almost forgot. Uh, Wes and I were trying to figure out, what are we going to do for this adventure path that really kind of gets people excited? And um, the sandbox thing was enough, but we, we didn't want to limit it to that. So we reached out to Ed Greenwood and uh, kind of brought him in to help us plot up some of the stuff. The Stag Lord was uh, fresh out of Ed's brain. And uh, he's like, I want to have somebody. I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was along the lines of, we should have somebody with antlers on his head. And yeah, it worked out pretty good. Ed ended up uh, helping us, you know, throwing up monsters for the entire thing and just sort of was a sort of a spiritual advisor, I guess I would say. Um, so yeah, the Stag Lord's the first big bad guy you kind of face off against. Um, there's all sorts of other villains as you go on. We don't have like one villain that menaces you the entire time. Uh, as it kind of works out, since we wanted to go with the sandbox, once you learn about a villain in the plot of the adventure, you can start moving toward defeating them uh, as soon as possible. So the next slide, we've got another character, uh, Vorticai, who's sort of an undead cyclops. He's not sort of, he is an undead cyclops. And uh, he's kind of the middle of the adventure path, big nasty bad guy that you uh, come up against. And um, Vince Dutrade is the, the guy that did all of these images for us. And there's just so much detail and, and just inspiring, just character we get these guys in and it kind of reverse inspires us like we have the idea that i want to be i want to have a, an undead cyclops lich be in this adventure but then he gives us this guy with this glowing red eye and we're like that should be sort of a magic item um so it's it's really kind of this sort of con constant train of inspiration when we're working with our artists um and uh, the next guy uh, king irovetti uh the next slide uh is sort of kind of the guy that you think is the main bad guy as you're going through this campaign, building up your kingdom. King Irovetti runs Pitax, which is the next kingdom over. He's not a very nice guy. Uh, this was, um, the idea here was we wanted the player characters to see this kind of 
he's evil, but he's more of just like arrogant, kind of bad art critic, uh, stuck on himself jerk that you kind of want to face off against. And eventually, uh, later in the campaign, you do face off against him in using uh, sort of a narrative mass combat set of rules. You can clash armies against him. And then the goal was that once we, once your kingdom is complete and you defeated the opposing king, we didn't want to just stop it there. We wanted the player characters to have a chance to enjoy their kingdom and then have some sort of just otherworldly threat come in and just attack them out of the blue and test their kingdom's limits. And the next slide, that's uh, Nerissa, uh, the nymph queen. She's kind of the, the closest that Kingmaker has to a big bad guy kind of pulling the strings behind everything. Her plans for the region, there's like little hints of what's going on throughout all of the adventures, but they're pretty subtle. Um, one of the fun little uh, side notes about the way this all played out is once Kingmaker was out, people really enjoyed it. Uh, but one of the biggest, one of the only complaints really we've heard was that people wanted more of a through line with the storyline. They wanted Narissa to be more involved with the story. And it's like, well, that's sort of not where we were going for, but it does make sense. People really like having, you know, a, a villain that they can kind of build up and, and fight against. So, um, and Narissa's one of the more, uh, I really love what Vince did with the art here. And she looks as, as like, there's this element of like beauty to it with that, which you get from like a fae queen. But it's also sort of this creepy alien element that uh, would go on, you'd see in stuff like Yoma de Toro's uh, Pants Labyrinth and other movies that just really dial in the alien aspect. And that's something that there's a lot of stuff we did in this adventure path that kind of helped us create our fairy realm, the, the first world. So um, that's pretty much the super nutshell of the Kingmaker adventure path. The plot is kind of what you make of it. You're going to be fighting bandits and barbarians and dragons and evil fae and and building your kingdom and building a city we'll get into that later but the actual storyline as it plays out is sort of left to the player character to decide what to do so i'm going to kick it over to uh lisa right now to talk about why we chose to do uh kingmaker as our first second edition compilation and uh as it's like proof as to how you can make this game your own and have things happen in it that were never really part of the in initial plot line so take it away lisa Thanks, James. So, you know, as any of you who have been following Paizo, um, one of the things we've always said about these compilations is it's kind of a way for us to go back to something, to an adventure path that's, uh, you know, been a favorite. And, and one of the ways we've always kind of uh, figured that out is that if it sells out. And so uh, Rise of the Rune Lords and Curse of the Crimson Throne were the first two adventure paths. And when they sold out, we... Uh, did anniversary editions of both of those. And um, about a year and a half, two years ago, Kingmaker sold out. And uh, we, we, we knew right away that we were going to do a, a, a compilation, but we decided to wait for second edition because we knew that was coming. We thought it would make a great uh, launching point for second edition. Um, and then last year, we got the brilliant idea of uh, doing crowdfunding for it on Game on Tabletop and it kind of took on a life of its own in terms of uh, growing to be what I think is probably going to end up being the biggest uh, gaming product probably ever made. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever. Well, there's a couple. There's like there's been a couple of those like uh, uh, there's been a couple books that are close to this big. I think uh, Frog God did a, a couple that were probably close to the close to a thousand pages. I think James is where we're at. Yeah, it's um, overall this. 
yeah, there's a, about a thousand pages through all the books we're doing, and that doesn't even touch the the other stuff we're doing, the the support products. Yeah, so it's good. There's a lot, and uh, like just to let you know, I mean, like uh, Rise of Rune Lords is like six hundred some pages. So you know, this thing is almost twice as big as Rise of the Rune Lords. That was huge. Um, and so you know, part of you know another reason you know that I think Rise of the Rune Lords, I mean, sorry, uh, Kingmaker works so well. Uh, at this time, especially at this time in, uh, of of our lives, is I think that the cool thing about it is this whole idea of the kingdom. And um, when you're going through and running the adventure path, everybody fights the stag lord, everybody fights Vordekai. But what happens in your kingdom? You know what what your players decide to do, and 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 the route you you decide to go is really kind of what puts your own stamp on. Um, on, on the adventure and the campaign. Um, and the, one of the things that you're going to ex- be excited about, I'm not going to spoil all his little stuff, but uh, one of the things that James has done is, is really make the, making the uh, kingdom in the new edition uh, much like a player character. You pretty much make build the kingdom like you would a, a player character uh, with complete with like, you know, attributes and flaws and things you're good at and, Things you're not so good at, and so the the kingdom takes on the the just like a character has you know takes on these characteristics of and, and you you kind of say oh that character is really good at picking locks or that one's really good at doing this at fighting monsters or whatever your kingdom's going to kind of do that too and you have to make trade offs you have to decide you know where it's gonna where you're gonna what you're gonna be really good at what you're gonna be known for and what kind of stuff you're gonna mm, shove under the carpet. And, and it's much like, you know, the way you have to build a business in the real world or even a, a, a country in the real world. You know, you don't, there's only so much money to go around, only so many places you can put your effort. And so you kind of have to make these decisions. And those decisions could come back to haunt you. They could come back to help you. And that's kind of exciting. When I was running, I actually ran Kingmaker for my home game. I've had a, the same gaming group going back to Shackled City. Uh, that's a, the first adventure path we ever did at Paizo back in uh, 2002. And uh, that gaming group, actually, well, it goes before that even. It goes back into the 90s. Um, and so they we, we ran Kingmaker. And uh, uh, and one of the things I like to do is when we, when we do these compilations is take the experience that I had running the game and Use that to help help us uh, develop the, the the campaign in a way. If there was areas that I had trouble, or you know, there was a where there was problems, like um, you know, like in Rise of the Rune Lords when we did, uh, we, there was a couple of points where the the connections between uh, adventures weren't exactly clear a lot of times of where you go next, and so we added things in. James and I added things in to help uh, make it smoother. And in this case, you know, I think, you know, it's just having those experiences um, and thinking back to my campaign. I mean, one of the the best, this would be a spoiler because I I have to tell you about my favorite NPC I've ever played. Um, And he's in Kingmaker and his name is Grigori. And Grigori is, uh, let's just say he set to kind of sabotage your kingdom. I won't say who who's sending him, um, but 
he the best thing about Grigori is he doesn't break the law in sabotaging your kingdom. He just tells the truth. And the neat thing about that is truth is so, you know, what you want to focus on. And it, and so, for instance, in, in, in our game, uh, it, it, there's, a, there's a, a certain encounter where there's a lumber consortium and there's a dryad and they're kind of at odds with each other. And uh, the lumber consortium wants to go in and, 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 and lumber in a hex and, and the dryad has a grove of trees that she's protecting. And so there's this kind of tense standoff. And no matter, you know, if, if, if the players go in and back up the Lumber Consortium and, and basically take the Dryad out, Grigori will go out to the populace and talk about how the, the, the horrible player rulers are, are destroying the wildlife, and destroying the kingdom's uh, natural beauty and the fae that live there. They've lived there their whole lives. And, and he'll, he'll rile the people up against this, you know, modern industrialization and, 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 and despoilment of forest. But if they side with the dryad, then Gregory can go and say, oh, the poor player characters there. I mean, these rulers are horrible. They're, 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 they're stopping the economic development of the, uh, and, and of the, the, the country. And they're, they're siding with these weird, esoteric fae that come from another world. And they're not like us and stuff, and and you could just play this off every no matter what your your, your characters decide. Gregory's there to point out the way they didn't take and how that hurts somebody in the kingdom. That you know, if they built a temple instead of building more tenant or more housing, then there's the poor homeless people. You know, they're, they're, the rich the rich get to go to their big temple, but the homeless people don't. You know, poor guys. Yet you know, if you build more more housing, that's like, well, where's our faith? Where's Who's who's taking care of our, our our connection to God, and so you can you can just you know use Grigori as this foil. And the nice thing about it is he's not he's not doing anything illegal. He's just out there telling the truth the way he sees it, and finding the people that are hurt by whatever decisions the players make in their kingdom, and and he can use that and twist that to kind of make rile them up and cause unrest. Um, I have to say. The reason I love Gregory so much is because my players became so frustrated because they were, they were kind of leaning towards law at the time, you know, like a lawful sort of uh, kingdom. And he got them so frustrated by following the laws that they actually kind of took a shift towards chaotic. And eventually they, the, 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 the queen of the land got so frustrated, she banned bards. Banned, <laughs> banned them from the entire campaign. There's no bards. They were they're all banished to the to, you know. And so there 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 goes your arts. There goes you know everything else in the kingdom. And uh, uh, so Grigori got banished, and they thought he kept taken care of. But he came back with some hell knights uh, from a, a nearby area of the river kingdoms. Uh, and the hell knights came in because of the, all the chaos that was being you know sown by these leaders and. When they finally defeated him, I don't think I've ever seen the characters more happy about defeating a big bad guy. And and he, they never even did really fought. I mean, it was just all about politics and maneuvering and 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 stuff. And it was just it was a real fun way to play a a role playing game because it wasn't just about you know going into the dungeon, but it was just it was this thing their kingdom that was being set upon by this person you know with words and. I really love that part of, of, of Kingmaker, and it really kind of made our kingdom uh, really you know, different and, and, and heading down a different path. 
and so and there's like so many little things like that done the way that the the, the everything's set up is you get all these decisions to make you know do you befriend the kobolds do you destroy the kobolds do you um you know annex a certain town that wants to come in but then doing that has adverse effects because there's other people that don't want you to do that and you know on and on there's just all these decisions you have to make and each one means that your campaign is going to become its own thing and there's like you know all these different diversion points and so i i think one of the things that we're doing with the new version that i like a lot is really focusing even more on this even more focusing on having more um of these encounters more uh, NPCs that you can deal with, and each of these has can can you know, really take a um, can take the whole campaign down a different path. And whether you even at the very beginning, there's now a an intro that we um, actually when uh, Owlcat was making uh, the the video game, one of the things I told them is that they really needed to have sort of a beginning where you kind of you know, instead of just showing up at, uh, at Olog's trading post, you really needed to have some sort of beginning that where everybody got their charter. And um, so they put this, you know, element into the into the game where you can come, you're up in Brevoy and you're you get to meet, you know, your benefactor who gives you, you know, your first charter to go down and explore the stolen lands. And uh, we've taken this now and brought this into the the, the, the print game. And uh, the neat thing about it is that there's so many different things that can happen in there, and just in that little part of the adventure, that your benefactor and how she views you and how your relationship uh, starts out, and whether it's it's a uh, cordial one or whether it's something where there's mutual respect or whether you kind of piss her off and she views you as almost like, well, at least you're helping me get something done, even if I don't like you. I mean all those things that happen in the adventure and uh, how you interact with some of the other uh, adventurers who are also going to these stolen lands and starting their own kingdoms could have a huge effect um, on the game down the line. And those are the little threads that we start weaving uh, even at the very beginning. And, and they, they have repercussions down the line. And I, I, I love that fact that it's just, I almost feel like a flow chart where you make these decisions and you go down this path and that path and that path. So, um, Excited by you know all the things we've added in that are really going to help uh, make this game really shine for a lot of people, and I think that's enough for me for the moment. I'll let, turn you back to James. Cool. Yeah, uh, the whole Grigory thing. Um, if I'd been thinking more clearly, I knew you were going to talk about him, Lisa, because obviously <laughs> I would have had a picture of him in here. We've got a lot of brand new art, by the way, coming in uh, Kingmaker's uh, new version. Uh, it's still in the process of being created, so we don't really have uh, anything to show off, except we have one thing coming up at the end of this uh, the stream that uh, we'll get to uh, soon enough. But um, yeah, Grigory is a great example, and uh, uh, kudos to Rob McCurry, the author of Rivers Run Red, for creating Gregory in the first place. Um, he's the exact kind of guy that people love to hate, but in the adventure itself, I think his encounter takes up maybe half a page, maybe a page. And it's a great example of how one character who's pretty minor in as written in the campaign can become such a huge, important element of a specific table's playthrough. And by having so many different characters like that that could potentially have those breakout roles, 
you really have a chance for your your campaign to kind of take on a life of its own. Um, I'm right now, well, not right now, but I'm currently developing the sec that section of the adventure path where Grigory comes in, and uh, I know that um, we'll be talking a little bit more uh, with how uh, Jason's team at Legendary came in to kind of gather everything together, but they've got a whole section where there's a, a trial of Grigory's sort of downtime event that plays out, and... Um, uh, a special warning, Lisa, uh, we have uh, a lot of pages, but we can't add an entire new adventure path just about Grigory in here. So <laughs> we'll see what we can do. Um, but anyway, so yeah, Kingmaker is not only uh, something that, uh, that so many of us have really loved playing through uh, on a tabletop venue, but it's also something that we uh, work with Owlcat Games to bring in as a computer game. So uh, Mark, can you talk a bit how uh, that whole process played out? Yeah, so um, Owlcat actually approached us. Um, let's see, the game came out in 2018, so it must have been 2016, maybe late 2015. Um, and they said, we made a, a video game of, of your Kingmaker Adventure Path. We want to show it to you. We thought... We didn't tell you you could do that, but they uh, showed it to us anyway, and it was it was great. It was uh, it was such a good adaptation, and this was just a little slice that they just a proof of concept that they showed us, and it was so um, so rich and so um, so I don't know. It was it just captured it so well uh, that hey, we Mark, were like, Mark, I always want to throw something in here. When we actually when they first came to us, they they just, they just came to me with a picture at Gen Con. They uh, actually came and asked for a meeting, and all they had was a piece of art, and it was a and actually that piece of art's never been seen, which is kind of sad. But it was a picture of a owl bear. You're kind of looking down at the uh, a forest air, forested area, like overlooking the river kingdoms, and there's this owl bear walking through this like meadow, and down below you you see a, like a, a city starting. But there's just all these ruins coming up, uh, all these old ruins and things. And it just he got this impression of this world full of adventure and things to be explored and found. And yet also this whole swath of forest that just, you know, you could see it was slowly. This one little point was just, you know, was starting to be built out. And it's just to me, it's just like I, I saw that. And I remember showing it to Eric and Jeff, our, uh, Eric Mona and Jeff Alvarez, who are my two executives. And and we all were just like they get it, they understand. Just this picture showed that they got what Kingmaker was about. And right then and there, I was like, okay, you guys get it. So let's talk terms. Let's talk deal. Anyway, I... yeah, I wasn't even aware of that of that image. I'll have to I'll have to reach out to them. I'll and have see to show you. I have it. I have it. On oh, my... you have it. Okay. Oh, all right. I'll, I'll, all I'll right. share it with you. Great. Um, yeah. So uh, so then they started working on the game, and and they they largely did. Um, did the first, you know, chunk of the writing and everything um, themselves. Uh, you know, they we approved the um, companions they were going to add, uh, major plot changes. Uh, but they're a Russian studio, and so a lot of their authors uh, write in in Russian as their native um, creative language. Uh, so they, um, a lot of stuff was done in Russian and then translated before we saw it. Uh, so uh, I came into the process during that um, post-translation phase where they were sending over um, 
you know, oh, here's a bunch of artwork of all these different characters. Here's um, uh, the here's some music. Here's a sample of a voice actor. Uh, here's uh, s- some dialogue from from this scene, or here's uh, how we want this to play out, and and just sort of collaborating um, between uh, the the folks at Alcat uh, with James, who who knew the AP better than anyone else as the as the original developer and then uh with other members of the creative team just to figure is this is this how we want the brand to be represented um in 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 this video game and so um i played it from with from the alpha on um and i've probably played the intro and chapters one and two six or seven times through because every time they would make a new build, I would start over. Um, and, uh, so I, I know the beginning of the AP very, very well. Um, one of the great things that they did, um, in addition to capturing the tone and the, um, and the world and, and the, you know, the setting so well was, uh, converting what was a collaborative storytelling process into a single player experience. And uh, I know that they ran multiple campaigns of Kingmaker um, with different members of their creative team being GM. um, And they incorporated a lot of the same way Lisa said that, you know, in her game, Grigory has a, has a specific you know, memorable role. They had that's the same experience with other NPCs in their campaigns, and so then they were able to take that and build build that into um, the the final narrative. Um, but by using the companions um, who essentially make up your your adventuring party, um, it it allows the the single player to have that um, party experience. Um, with with the really rich conflicting um uh motivations and 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 goals uh so that you get that that interparty dynamic even if you're just playing by yourself and uh one of the the one of my favorite things about playing the game and and the approvals process was just seeing some of these new things that they came up with or new twists that they added to um to the the adventure which at that point was probably six or seven years old um when they started working on it um and uh yeah it was just it was a lot of fun uh i think they did a really good job of adding an overarching overarching narrative that james was sort of talking before about how for it to be a sandbox you really can't give too too clear of rails um for the the plot to to move along um and i think that they did a good job of of sort of adding some under underlying themes that sort of linked stuff together. They really focused on the curses of the area and how, um, you know, at, at each level they were sort of playing up the, uh, the influence of Nerissa on those events, which in the, the tabletop game, um, there really was a, uh, we, we heard a lot of feedback from, from fans that there wasn't a lot of foreshadowing that she was going to be this, um, this villain that you face at the end. Um, and so I think that they, that was just another one of the, the many things that they, they improved on. So um, 
yeah, you know, lots of back and forth uh, with them. Uh, it was a great process, and and we're uh, we're happy with the game that they they did, and they're uh, currently working on a sequel, well, not a sequel game, a second game, um, which is an adaptation of the Wrath of the Righteous Adventure Path. Um, and uh, yeah, they've, I've I've already started playing the alpha on that one, and and uh, we'll see we'll see what comes of that. So um, yeah, you know, it was it was. A lot of fun to, to to work on that, and and then to be able to take the new things that they added, the the these really um, well developed, memorable characters that that are are the companions, um, as well as extra side plots, extra um, connective tissue between adventures, and pass that off to uh, Jason and his team uh, to uh, adapt that into second edition rules, and then um, interweave those with uh, with the uh, updated uh, tabletop campaign um, it's it's a really interesting process to see so many different groups of people all working with the same material it's like um, it's like an exquisite corpse um, which was a you know no I don't mean it's a beautiful beautiful dead body um, it's a that's an art uh, term uh, that was done by the, the surrealists and dadaists uh which was uh one group of people that you 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 draw your picture on this frame this section of the frame and then you fold it over and you pass it to someone else and they don't know what you've drawn they just draw their part and then they fold it and, and pass it on and and you can end up with some with some really great creative work by having people each have their own phase of being in control of sort of what direction this takes. And, and um, I think that, that that makes the final project even richer. So um, in its third iteration, I think that it's going to be even, even better than it has been in the past two. So um, that's basically the process with, um, with Alcat and um, yeah, we're uh, looking forward to seeing uh I'm at least looking forward to seeing how how uh, some of that stuff translates into uh, the tabletop game again. So um, I'll pass it back to James, and we can cool. uh, keep going from there. Cool. Yeah. Um, one of the big things we wanted to do, we knew we had to do with this, was to bring in a lot of what Alcat had done with the game and uh, bring in some of their additions to the game. Um, it's, I mean, <laughs> just as they had to make a lot of choices in adapting a single play or a a, a group. Uh, play experience with the tabletop into a single player thing. We then took their thing, single player stories and had to translate them back into the group version. So it's it's very much like uh, Marco saying, sort of this exquisite corpse of like this handoff of all right, now you're creating, now you're creating, now you're creating, uh, all, all the way through. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's been a, a really kind of interesting. It's it's a different experience than I've had with the other ones because uh, again having all of this material from video game to draw upon is really sort of broadening the horizons and all that. Um, we also, uh, when we decided we were going to do this, uh, we were also doing another tiny little project. Uh, you may have heard of this uh, second edition of Pathfinder. And uh, turns out uh, launching a new edition of the game takes a lot of people working a lot of, you know, just hours. Just it, it, Things were pretty pretty crazy busy at that time, as they're always pretty busy. But... Um, it was pretty obvious at the start that we were not going to be able to just take Kingmaker from start to finish all the way through and still work on second edition. So we started talking about, well, we need to bring somebody in to basically take the first pass, to gather all of the material together, to 
convert as much as possible into uh, the second edition rules um, to create new content to the, you know, filled up either translating some of the stuff from the, the video game or even brand new content. And uh, that ended up uh, falling on to you, Jason, over at Legendary Games. So why don't you talk a bit about how uh, that whole thing played out and what sort of things you had to jump through? Uh, it's it's quite a process to get through, and and you know our initial conversations with the between Rachel, my business my business director, and Eric Mona, kind of back and forth about some projects, and it kind of at first it was just well, what about doing this for second edition, and then it kind of grew from there. Well, what about making it more? What about making it bigger? And then what about doing something to add on some extra content for D and D fifth edition? What about if we do some stuff revising the new stuff back for Pathfinder first edition and and it, the project kind of grew and grew as it went. And so even from our end, this project kind of got bigger and bigger. And and I think part of the process of getting to where we got was just showing that you know how to do you know, a big project and being able to maneuver a ton of missing moving parts. And like Lisa talked about how big this project was. And, and so I had to go out to people that I knew who work with legendary games, people who are experienced with path, with you know, working with the Pathfinder system, working with both Pathfinder 2 and Pathfinder 1, and with the you know, 5th edition for the stuff we did for that. And so we ended up having, I think, over two dozen freelancers working on the project altogether. And these are people who are experienced, who had worked with us before. And we had done other cross-system projects, like you know, we made a Forest Kingdom campaign compendium for Pathfinder 1 and for 5th edition D&D. And having those kind of people who were intimately familiar with that kind of work, who were reliable, who we knew we could work up with them, was really important. Because with a project this big, with so many moving parts, you really have to make sure that you are working with people you can trust. And even with that, on the project management side, you know, things can slip and things can slide. So you might make sure you have reliable people to keep moving forward. And that was where contacts also with Mark and with James was really important to be able to kind of go back and forth as we went through the process to kind of show, here's what we're thinking of with this. And some meetings in person, some conversations over email. And some of that was with the adventures themselves. That was in a way the most straightforward part of it. Like, hey, here's a great adventure. Let's make it new for the new system. But then we had all the extra stuff we wanted to add on, which, you know, James, you or we said Mark can get on a little more and maybe in the Q&A as far as exactly what all else is in there, but expanding what Wilderness Encounters are all about. All of those kind of cover quests inside the first edition of the Pathfinder thing, some of which were actually integral to the flow of adventures and others which were just sort of fun little sidetracks. How do we work those into a new edition? How do we work all that Alcat content in, in a way that makes sense for a tabletop game? Because, you know, I got sort of the map screenshots from Mark and some of the, you know, conversational scripts. and But a lot of those were sort of built and programmed with video game logic. And so how do you make that make sense in a more interactive kind of way? And then we also had to think how much more stuff will be added in. And with a crowdfunding project, we have stretch goals going along. New things get approved. New things get approved. We ended up adding entire chapters kind of in between some of the others, which also meant we sort of were sliding around the level basis for where the core Kingmaker adventures were. So we had our intro to the the Outdoory up in Brevoy, which is now your prequel. That's kind of, you know, your first little intro, which kind of 
adjust how you're going to roll right into stolen lands, rivers run red, then you sort of make a side trip into the season of the bloom, which was new content from the Alcat game, which for Kingmaker players who have only played the tabletop version will be entirely new. But since now that slides into like around eighth level or so, now you're pushing back the var and hold vanishing a little bit. And so it wasn't a simple straight one-to-one kind of change this into that. We had to then build out how will things need to be adjusted and tailored to make it fit at the new levels, and especially for the latter part of the adventure, to make it all come together. Mark addressed the idea of building up more connections between adventures, because by the nature of the sandbox, each one was mostly self-contained. And sometimes the villains were just, you know, antagonists along the way. Sometimes they had their own plans that they were trying to carry through. And in creating this cohesive whole, that was certainly one of our goals, was to try to tie things more tightly together. Not so much that it becomes a railroad, but there are more connective through lines that are visible from the player's side. With the original Kingmaker, if you're reading it as a DM, you could certainly see parts that, all right, I see how it all goes together, but trying to make that more visible. Now, specifically when we talk about Pathfinder 2nd Edition, we really wanted to lean into that being the philosophical mode of how we built this. It's not just a matter of, hey, change the stat blocks and push go. We want to really integrate the that style of adventuring and that style of construction of how adventures work, how challenges work, how nature itself becomes an obstacle. And having the weather and the terrain and making the encounters dynamic in that kind of way. But also, to go with Lisa's point, about the kingering building rules and tying those together and making them more integrated. So we can talk more, I guess, more about the, uh, the kingdom building rules in the Q&A, but... That was a section that was near and dear to my heart. You know, James and we had worked on, had done the original version of them in Kingmaker. And then when we kind of revised for Ultimate Campaign, I had taken that on to revise those and wrote that chapter. But then I'd also written a lot of extra stuff for Legendary Games, expanding out what you could do with Kingdom Rules and coming back to sort of reconceptualize that for what it would mean in Pathfinder 2nd Edition. It was tricky because you wanted to make sure that the math all made sense, but you also wanted to make it something dynamic and engaging and not completely devoid. And that was why, design-wise, I came to the idea of making the kingdom basically an extra player character. And like we said, you've got your your attributes of what your kingdom is good at and making them work more like a character's statistics. Your kingdom gains experience points for doing kingdom things. So instead of trying to bridge that back directly into XP awards for your characters for adventuring, as your kingdom advances in level, it gains its own attributes. It gains its own, you know, essentially class features and class feats and that sort of thing. So you build up what your kingdom can do. And we also leaned a lot into the sort of four-level success. You know, your failure, critical failure, success, critical success, so that there is more uncertainty baked into the system. In some ways, with the original system, the numbers got so big that rolling the D20 was kind of an afterthought unless you rolled a natural one. And so we wanted to make sure that, that while you could plan ahead, that you never quite knew what was going to happen from month to month. But it wasn't so completely out in left field that you didn't you know, have any idea what was going to happen. So that was a delicate balance to walk through. But 
by uh, with a lot of expansion, and that was part of the the stretch goals. We expanded the kingdom rules far beyond. It's more than double the length of the uh, the kingdom rules in the Ultimate Kingdom uh, or sorry, Ultimate Campaign book for first edition, and probably about five times as long as the original Kingmaker Kingdom Building and Mass Combat rules from the uh, the original adventures. So there's a ton of content. There's a ton of moving parts. There's a ton of levers you can pull. But you can also play it fairly simply if you want. There are kind of directions in there. We expect you want to try it out. We want you to try and play the system. But it's not going to be so overwhelming that you can't play without it or that you just get buried in the details. We kept it very similar, very familiar to what playing your character is already like. And so that design philosophy, I think, let us come up with what is a pretty fun and user-friendly but still very robust and interesting. Um, you have a system of how you can do that adventuring. Now, as far as how that kingdom building will be accessible later on beyond the Kingmaker you know, book itself, that definitely is a, a James and Lisa question as to how, whether that will become part of the online core rules. I certainly hope so, because I think it's something that's fun that people can incorporate in any other campaign, but it's so deeply embedded in what makes Kingmaker Kingmaker that I was very happy with what we finally came out with it and how it all came together. Do you want me to talk some about some of the other books or do you want to address that separately? Um, I think we'll address the books actually in a little bit. I'll call, I'll call back to you uh, when you're, when we get to there. Sure. Uh, anything else you want me to kind of go into as far as the, the substance of kind of what we did and why we did it? Um, Actually, let me let me go through uh, what we're doing right now with it, and then I'll probably uh, call back on you, Jason, a couple bits to to explore a little bit. Um, it's the whole process of building all of this up into a brand new book. It's it's really it's it's been a, a lot of work. Uh, like Jason was just saying, bringing in two dozen new authors to. There's a couple of uh, like Tim Hitchcock, I think you brought in, correct? A couple others who worked on the original adventure. Um, but uh richard pet that a little bit as well hmm? cool cool um and uh it's it's been uh it's been f for me one of the things that is always I, I've, I've said this to a lot of the other developers at uh, paizo going back through looking at something that we did 10 years ago that we were really proud of um and just comparing it to where we're at today it's it's shocking to me just how much better we've all gotten at like editing and developing and, and plotting and all of that it's 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 really just we've been going in the right direction, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, so yeah, with um, with building the 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 new version, the main adventure path itself is going to be it's I think a 640 page book. It's about the same size as the core rulebook for second edition, and that's going to contain all of the information you need for the um, the second edition playthrough of of Kingmaker, and uh, it's the single biggest chunk of what we're doing. Uh, for this this entire relaunch, the uh, I've gone through a lot of the the kingdom stuff that J Jason turned over. I think it was like it was like eighty thousand words of content for. I, I think if, if, when I cut it back down, it might have been back down to seventy. So yeah, I think it was seventy. Um, and it's we had this element of like, well, we've got a lot of room in here. Let's just do whatever. And then I started <laughs> paginating, and I was like, whoa, we've got a lot of stuff. So it's it's but it's really. The way, that, if you know how to build a character, you know how to run your kingdom. I think that's the strongest uh, element of the new rules. Um, so actually, 
dovetailing into that, uh, we got a, uh, the next slide we've got coming up is one of my favorite images we had back in the day in, um, in the first version, uh, which was basically uh, uh, Mauriceal helping to direct all of the other uh, people out there building their kingdom and all of that. And she's, of course, doing her job from a comfy little hammock. Uh, Sila's down there, not too pleased with the situation. Lem's goofing off in the background. But the idea that your player characters are not just going to be adventuring, fighting, you know, trolls and and uh, slaying dragons, but you're going to have to build stuff. And and how every player in the group is should have their own roles, whether they're you know building it or uh, gathering the resources or directing from the comfy hammock. And so you start at like something like this, and then eventually, as the campaign goes on, like we'll see in the next slide, you'll get to a town like Pitax, which is a it's already built and it's a, it's an entire region that your characters uh can visit at the early earlier in the campaign or once things go you know pear-shaped and there's a big war and the the nuns this kind of spoilerific war of the river kings adventure path title um you can annex pitax and decide you know whether you want to let it be its own freehold or you want to take over or you want to um burn it to the ground and start over all of that is really up to your characters to choose and so how that all played out uh, back in the back in the day, Wes and I were trying to figure out how we wanted to model all of this just kingdom building and and really like building your city as well. And we came up with sort of a grid based system like we have in the next slide. It's a super simple, just a, a nine panel screen where you've got all of your city's elements are going to show up in this grid. And. Uh, in the new edition of the game, uh, as I've been working through with Jason's uh, turnovers and, and new content and all of that stuff, it really segues and, and just bolts onto the um, the downtime system really, really well. And so all of your kingdom turns are going to play out at the end of a month. You go through all of these downtime activities, build up your kingdom, and then there's a section of that turn where you're going to build up your, your, your nation, basically. And... Uh, Whereas the original version, you would be placing like specific houses and, and shops and buildings and stuff into these squares. The new version is more kind of a, rather than placing a single house, you'll place an entire like housing district. And that way, since it's not so much just single buildings, this whole kind of uh, symbolization of your city can work for a village, which may only take up one of those green squares, to a town, which will take up four of those green squares, to a city which will take up nine, all nine of the squares. And then it doesn't stop there. If you want to go beyond city, you can go into metropolis and that just, you have to bring in new nine square zones that you kind of append onto each side of it. And um, that's uh, kind of the fundamental way that we, it's, it's sort of like looking back at like games like civilization, where you're like building up your, your nation square by square by square, but it's also like an element of like paper dolls. And and it's, it's the way it's one of the things that kind of, appealed to me and it was sort of like a, a, a aha moment was if your kingdom is your character and um the leaders of that uh, kingdom are kind of like that character's skills and feats and stuff like that the buildings you put in your cities are your kingdom's items like a player character might get a, a plus two sword and uh you know gauntlets of giant strength and uh, a rod of wonder your kingdom won't get those things your kingdom will get like a a keep or a opera house or a thieves guild and they will start building up your your kingdom's abilities in that way. And then you'll need all of that stuff because there will be, like we see in the next slide, specific kingdom events such as, uh, you know, a Godzilla-sized owlbear attacking your, your village 
and uh, trying to wreck down the walls and and just being geez, kind of being a pill. But um, there's a large number of these random events that you can have as you're building up your kingdom. And uh, beyond just having those random events, uh, there's going to be like story-based events that take place as well. And it all sort of kind of works just alongside of the game, the game itself in the downtime mode. So um, that is all pretty much going to be in the adventure path. And that's the main thing we've really been talking about this whole time. There's also some other products that we're going to be doing to support this. Um, oh, one other thing that I forgot to even, we haven't really even talked about. There's going to be a mass combat element in this. And uh, so you'll be seeing things like in the next slide when you get heroes have to fight in like armies of, of trolls attacking your town or like um, uh, just just cavalry or infantry and stuff like that. Uh, Pathfinder works really well for, you know, small scale stuff where it's your group of adventurers like out in the dungeon or something like that. But the mass combat element in here, um, I haven't actually dive, dived into working on that element yet because I'm still working on the first half of the adventure path. Mass Comet doesn't kick in until later. But it's going to also, just as the kingdom rules and the city building rules, it's going to lean into the downtime mode. So you'll rather than having to play out entire you know, battles with these things, you will be able to just take a couple of downtime rules influenced by the way you've picked up your, your armies and, and your generals and all of that. And it should be a lot faster to play out. It's, it, it won't be as disruptive. And um, uh, you will be able to just handle these things quickly, you know, quickly and succinctly, but in a way that we hope is is more exciting and uh, less disruptive to the play of the campaign itself. So that pretty much sums up the adventure path. Though we've also got um, a uh, one of the, the biggest supplementary ones is the companion guide, and uh, that one is is basically. A lot of the Alcat characters that in in the video game are surrogate player characters because in the video game you're playing one character and these companions come along and take the role of the other players in the party. Uh, obviously, in, in the tabletop version, all of the player characters are already covered by your players at the table. So these NPC companions have special roles that we've built into the game, and uh, we've got several of them in a a multi page format where you'll get like stat blocks for them and their 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 personalized quests and additional kingdom abilities and camping abilities and uh we've got sections in there for expanding like just camping out in the woods uh you know cooking food uh, hiding from monsters there's more rules on like the wilderness and then and the uh, the weather and stuff like that um it's sort of also the like pressure release valve for the adventure path itself. So if there's something that expands so much that it kind of edges out other content from the adventure path, it can go into this companion guide as sort of a, uh, a an expansion to, to your game. And, and Jason, that one was one that had, unlike working on um, the adventure book itself, where you were updating a lot of content from a, you know, stuff that you've actually worked on or, or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, players, uh, tabletop version this was pretty much all computer pickup stuff wasn't it it was and this one was really the hardest book to get a handle on exactly what it was going to be and part of the you know crowdfunding thing we had funded i think seven of the companions to get full write-ups and then the, we included the other companions from the uh, computer game but just with like a, a two-page spread with kind of more basic information on them but and we kind of you know, looked at it i talked to mark and we kind of figured out what are these characters all about we looked at people's kind of online reactions to what they really liked about those characters we went to the paizo message boards and some of the you know pathfinder 
wiki you know, um, sites that they had really talking about each character and what kind of made them fun, what made it exciting to do. And and so it was it was a lot of a it's not an absolutely uniform, you know, experience you're gonna see because each one had their own tailored stuff that is unique to them. The goal of course is to make it, you know, feel the most cool and interesting thing it could be for each character to represent. And so yeah, it was bringing that stuff in, bringing those quests in and having each character you know, be someone that you can encounter at various parts throughout the adventure path. And they each have their own stories that can engage with you as you go along. And they may be in a minor character that you just sort of meet and pass by, or they may be someone that you make a real connection with and you meet again and again throughout the adventure path. So the seven full-scale ones, they each have their own separate, you know, when you say a mini quest, they're almost like a little a sidetrack adventure that you might go on with them to help them out with something. They might come to you. They've made a connection even as far back as some of them you meet in the, the introduction at the outdoor manor house from the very beginning of the AP. And they may come back again at fifth level, or they may come back again at 10th level. They might come back again at 13th level. And it's like, there's something I really need to do, you know, and there's something there of how to engage with them. If you decide to help them, if you don't, and it integrates them as well with the kingdom rules, like you mentioned. So if you do make friends with and help them, maybe they have a new magic item formula they can share with you. Maybe they have a new kingdom ability, which they can grant to you. Maybe they can allow you to take new specific actions in downtime mode or exploration mode, or they can enhance the actions you could already do. So again, this is a place where we really leaned into the, the robust different kinds of action economies that exist in Pathfinder 2nd Edition to to really offer up something interesting and some reason why engaging with this person will be fun and exciting, but not also absolutely necessary. If you don't want to engage them, that's fine. It's not going to cripple you in the AP. It is an option for you, and it can enrich. And if you take the time to build those relationships over time, great. One of the beauties of the Kingmaker Venture Path is that it's one that takes or should take years of in-game time. A lot of times with an adventure saga, your characters might go from first level to 15th level in the space of, you know, two months. But Kingmaker is intended to sort of breathe and grow organically. Your characters may, you know, form relationships. They may break relationships. They may have kids. They may do all kinds of things. And so having those companions available to you, I think, was a really fun way to bolt them on in a way that, again, makes sense for a tabletop game leave the agency in the player's hands, but give them a lot of really neat extra content and extra things they can do that feel natural and organic and like they've grown up alongside these people. Cool. Yeah, I mean, one one of the things that, um, uh, you know, like, like Lisa talked about, you know, which NPCs became sort of the focus of their campaign. And that's going to be different for every, um, every party or every, 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 campaign every group uh so uh by the companion guide really allows it gives the gm a whole bunch of very fleshed out npcs that players can take or leave you know if if maybe the group doesn't have a dedicated healer and you know they're just sort of struggling with that well there's a few characters that are available in there that maybe you make a gm pc and they come along with you you know maybe they don't 
particularly like um you know the uh the doom and gloom of uh harem the uh the dwarf um so they don't they don't explore his 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 uh story uh the same way that they might with amiri or with um valerie or or whomever um but um but yeah i think that 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 my goal in in sort of directing jason in terms of which direction he and his team were working on was to get those integrated with the kingdom rules you know the computer game does a good job if you don't want to do kingdom building to just sort of run it on autoplay and uh one of the one of the nice things about having all these extra companions is if your characters are not in or your players are not interested in sort of managing the kingdom they can make allies with these people and then let them do it you know put them in in charge of some of that stuff and use their uh skill bonuses and their you know um their stats to sort of run the run the <clears throat> kingdom in their stead and so that's that i think is is really exciting that was yeah. one of the things we we made a point of doing is to work in specific things and some of them are better at certain things than others so one of them you know this person's character might be really good as a general or might be really good as a treasurer but maybe not so good in as a diplomat and vice versa so each one has things that they're good at and also because they have personalities each one of them may have things they want to do and they may make requests for you or push you to do even if that's not necessarily the thing they're best at and kind of like Gregory, that's you have to learn by playing who fits well where. There's also stuff aside from the kingdom rules that is in character stuff. So they might teach you feats or stuff. So even if, like Mark says, you're not that keen on the kingdom side of it, there's still content in this that is going to be useful for your characters in other ways in their ordinary, you know, adventuring mode of playing your character. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a lot of uh, brand new content for a lot of people. Even if you're playing the video game, in some cases, some of their their storylines didn't really translate <laughs> perfectly well to tabletop. So we might have a character that has a brand new storyline that no one's ever seen before. Um, we've got other new content as well. Um, we've got, uh, just to, to really quickly touch upon a couple of the other supplementary books and products before we open it up for questions, we've got a... A couple of other hardcovers coming along. One of them is going to provide a lot of statistics and advice for playing it in 5th edition. Uh, one of them will provide a lot of advice and, and the statistics for playing back in 1st edition Pathfinder. We've got a, a three three multi-pack flip mats that are going to support a lot of the encounter areas in the campaign. Uh, we've got a GM screen that's going to have the map of the stolen lands on it, so you can like put that down in front and let every all the players see where the progress goes and can use that to track like um if 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 it works the way i think it will work you can use like wet wet, wet erase dry erase markers or, or whatever on that screen to track your borders and everything like that um we've got a folio for tracking your kingdom and your settlements and sort of like an expanded character sheet folio we've got um oh, i must be forgetting some stuff out there we've got dice we've got uh anything i'm forgetting lisa or it's hard to keep track of all the stuff we've got, got on the way, but uh, we have a, a hero point token. Yep. Yep. From campaign coins. Um, we also have a map folio, a reprint of the map. That's folio, right. That's right. I, yeah. Yeah. That's the one I was forgetting. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been kind of a, it's been 
exciting and surreal for me to, to buckle down and start doing this because we started doing the work from home thing at Paizo at about the point where I started working on this. So um, you may have seen me like looking off to the side here now and then as my cat has been distracting and it's she's been helping with the uh, the, the works. So, like I got this map of Pitax here that I've, I don't know if you can see she's been chewing on the corner of it and I'm trying to keep all that stuff away from her. But so, yeah, there's extra help coming from all over the place. But um, anyway, um, yeah, and, and folks may be able to hear my baby in the background. So it's yeah, you know, all, all around. We're all getting help with our jobs. So we've been we've been talking about Kingmaker here for about an hour. Uh, let me open it up now to questions in the chat. Uh, so if you have questions to any of us about uh, Kingmaker or the um, the adventure path or the process or anything like that, uh, please drop them into the uh, the Twitch uh, chat. Um, be sure to add official Paizo in your message so it'll get highlighted. I know a lot of people have been dropping in um, questions all along. One of them I just happened to glance at and notice, uh, Briar. There's a sword in the adventure path called Briar, which plays a pretty key role. Um, and uh, they asked if it was going to be a relic. And I don't think we're going to stat that up as a relic. I think that one is actually uh, an artifact. So it's got its own sort of like special rules as to what it's going to be doing. I haven't gotten to that part of the adventure path developing yet, but, but yeah, anybody uh, have any uh, questions for us about Kingmaker, feel free to there, ask in there. There are some uh, items that might lend themselves well to being, um, to being relics. Um, I'm thinking of um Bane. Yeah, that is possible. I, one of the big things that I, I want to do with this is to try to preserve as much of the original flavor as possible. So Overham Bane certainly has potential to be a relic. I don't want to put in too... There's already got a lot of, of, of new rules with the kingdom rules and the, the city building rules and the, the mass combat rules and all that. Um, if it makes sense, I'll include something like relic rules or something like that from the Game Master Guide. But in most cases, if it's something that we've already kind of got set up in one way, I'm probably going to stay the course as to what's going on there. Um, let me see here. Uh, show us the cat. I will if she allows me. She's kind of a squirrely, swirly sort of cat. Um, uh, Lisa, how, what do we know about... Uh, uh, we're, we're working on it right now. We're hoping to get it out as soon as possible. Do we have any anything we can say yet about the schedule of, of when we're going to be releasing things yet or let's just say it's like you know the old magic eight ball you know answer hazy ask again later um you know it's it's uh not surprisingly uh switching to a coronavirus world has uh uh made things a little different it's better in some ways and worse in other ways um all i can say is we're working really hard and james is is taking the lead on this thing and i've been a lot of time in uh, <clears throat> myself. Uh, it's it's a really important product for us. We're trying to make sure we do it right. Um, and so uh, I think we'll have a better idea about when the exact release date's going to be probably towards the end of summer. Um, yeah, there's going to be a virtual Gen Con, I hear. I wouldn't be surprised if we're doing some panels there. and Maybe that might end up being an announcement at virtual Gen Con in August. Um, but yeah, I think we're still kind of trying to figure it all out because there's, as James said, there's so much, um, just so much text and stuff that he's going through. And as, like, for instance, he was working on the adventures and then realized he needed to get the kingdom rules done. So he took a break from that, went to the kingdom rules, got those in shape, 
and then went back and it's like like because he kept leaving all these little like notes like once i got the kingdom rules i got to come back and look at this and you know and so there's just so many intertwined pieces and sometimes you may go later you know go through two-thirds of the adventure path and development and find something to go oh crap i gotta go now go back and go through these two-thirds and fix some things because i changed something way back here so it's it's a it's a big hunk hunky piece of uh yeah. of text and so i think we're just gonna and once we get further along and once james has had a chance to get through the entire thing and we find out where we're at and you know i think that's where we'll get a better idea of how long it's gonna take to print and stuff like that because that's the other thing is you have to print it and it's gonna be a yep. lot of books and stuff and then there's all the fulfillment for the kickstarter or for the game on tabletop so you know it's 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 uh ask again later yeah oh we'll, we'll have more information as soon as we can uh let's see more questions gloomfall asks Will there be rules for people who want to set up a crafting workshop or a shop to manage during downtime? Also, will goblin characters be fully supported? Goblin characters are kind of fully supported in anything we do in second edition. Um, but specifically, the Season of Bloom adventure that we're inserting between what was Rivers Run Red, the second adventure, and the third adventure, Barnold Vanishing. So this is kind of like sandwiched in there. It's a very, very goblin thing. And if you've got a goblin character, you're going to enjoy playing through that section. Um, as for setting up a crafting not, workshop... Not the um... Companion yeah, role is will in play there. an important role there. So even if you don't have a, a goblin player PC, character, yeah. um, you'll you'll still be able to get sort of the goblin perspective on events. Yeah, and there's actually uh, a, there's a oh. whole village you added in there too of a goblin yeah. home home village. You know, for like goblin characters to be from if they wanted to or whatever. So yep, yeah, for sure. Uh, as for setting up a crafting workshop or shop. Uh, not really. It'll be a lot more hands-off. Like you can build shops and crafting workshops and stuff, and you can your character can be in the role of like the uh, the warden or the um, counselor, something like that. Where when it comes to like crafting and setting up trade routes, you can be involved there. It'll certainly have room for your player characters to to do downtime like that, but it's not it's not as much focused on like individual character downtime stuff as like party downtime thing. Yeah, uh, one more thing oh. to add in there is just that. Um, the downtime rules, as as James mentioned earlier, really kind of dovetail in really well to this uh, uh, to the kingdom building thing. And as leaders, you actually have to spend some of your downtime uh, basically ruling. So you know you don't have all the downtime available to you. And if you do take, if you don't spend some of your downtime ruling the kingdom, bad things happen. And and yep. so uh, you have to kind of make this decision. So if you wanted to like put all of it into crafting. Then that means you're kind of like, you know, you know, spending your time not not running the kingdom. So uh, things might get out of control because you're not watching them and stuff like that. So there's some nice give and takes in the rules that allow you to uh, make those decisions uh, and consequences if you you do so. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Monday Wolf. That they, you also can spend more than just the basic downtime. There's kind of core rules for your you know, what you do with downtime for ruling. But if you want your character to spend more of their time, you know, at least you know, in the original draft, I can't say by the final version, but there was the ability to spend more time ruling to get some extra kingdom actions, if you will. And you could use those to improve stuff that you're doing or even to do some extra things. So whether yeah. that ends up in the final, we'll see. But but there is that flexibility built into it that you can do it more, you can do it less. 
Uh, let's see here. Monday Wolf asks, will we see a Starfinder conversion for Kingmaker? You'll have to check out uh, the Star... We've got several Starfinder panels coming up uh, over the course of PyZicon. They're going to be talking about a lot of stuff. I'm deep in the Pathfinder side of things, so I don't know. It would be cool. For a lot of these, uh, when people... There's another one uh, asking if Rise of the Runelords will be converted to second edition. Um, we don't generally say what we got planned. We got plans going out way into the future, but... but uh, one thing that we do need is if you want us to do something, let us know. Let us know if you want a Starfinder Kingmakers game. Let us know if you want a second edition Rise of the Rune Lords. Uh, uh, PaizoCon is a great chance to, you know, get some one-on-one just uh, requests in like that. Um, and and most of us have um, uh, AMA threads on the Discord as well. Yeah. So if there's a particular staff member that you see in a in a um, seminar or uh, someone you know by looking at the credits page of a book was the lead developer on it or whatever. Um, stop in and, and see whether there's any um, thing. That's one of the great things about in-person PaizoCon or meet PaizoCon as I like to call it. Um, and, uh, you know, is that you can just walk up to, to whomever and just say, hey, I really loved that adventure you did. I'd love to see X and Y. Um, we want to give people that same um experience here so so yeah. check us out on the amas uh steven prather asks are there any plans to make this available for the digital tabletops like fantasy grounds and roll 20 um that's something that we're really really trying to get going just across the board uh we will is there some place we're going to be talking more about that lisa elsewhere during PaisaCon, or is it just a generalized yeah we're going to be trying to do a lot of this not necessarily just for kingmaker but mark this is you yeah, yep, Mark. I, yeah. Um, I am currently <laughs> leading uh, Paizo's uh, VTT Strike Force, which, um, in the uh, the wake of our uh, current global situation, um, we we realize just how um, vital this this uh, this resource is to the community. And um, so, while we've we've had partners on v- various VTTs. Uh, up until now, we're really working to try and increase the amount of content that they and we are producing to go up on those. Um, we don't have any spe- anything specific to announce now because we're still finalizing some of that. Um, but it is our intention to get maps, to get adventures, to get just to get as much as we can possibly do without, you know, ceasing production of the stuff that you know pays our bills. Um, huh. So we'll we'll still, without sacrificing the publishing of, of books, we will try and get as much as we can available on VTTs. And um, I think the eventual end goal is to do as much day and date as we can. Um, whether or not that'll be possible with a thousand pages of content um, from Kingmaker uh, remains to be seen. But um, but we certainly will be looking to get as much of it available on VTTs as we possibly can. Hey, James, oh, yeah. don't you have a picture you want to show? I you? was just actually looking oh, over and realizing I forgot to announce mine. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so let's, uh, we've got the actual cover from Wayne Reynolds. Uh, so that's the next slide coming up. This is the cover for the Adventure Path uh, book itself. Uh, brand new illustration. I picked the four characters we showed off at the start of the uh, of the stream specifically so you could see where these, these four sort of characters come from. So um so there you go. You got the Stag Lord, King Irovetti, uh Vordecai, and uh, Nerissa all kind of lined up in front of the, the the untamed wilderness that your characters are certainly not going to have 
any trouble like claiming and uh, expanding your kingdoms into. So they will say, please come in and rule this land. Yeah, we want to help. We're friendly. (laughs) So we'll keep that one going there for a little bit while I uh, answer a few more questions. Um, Sir Servan Laureate asks, are there any player options included? Uh, Absolutely. As Jason was mentioning earlier, a lot of the companions are going to be... um, have like knowledge of special feats or spells or items or something like that that they can teach your characters during uh, when they encounter them during downtime. The, the very nature of the fact that this has a lot more downtime means that you're going to have more time to rebuild your character or uh, retrain your character or learn new abilities like that. The adventure path itself is going to have new spells and new magic items as well. So there's absolutely the going to be some new player system. stuff. The camping uh, system is going to be in there. The camping system that we're adopting from the computer game as well um, will give you additional actions and things you can do um, when you're setting watch or building camp or whatever that yep. I know a lot of groups currently just sort of hand wave. Um, we'll be giving more character options for that. So if your character's really good at hunting, that you can possibly do that and, and whatever. Yeah. So. The camping uh, traits from first edition, I think, also got turned into backgrounds for yes. Pathfinder Doom. Somebody had asked that question in our, in our Twitch chat. Cool, thanks. Uh, Lying Dutchman asks, will the kingdom building rules be available separately from the Kingmaker Adventure Path? Um, at this point, the Kingmaker rules, uh, the, the kingdom building rules are, are have to be really hyper-focused on supporting Kingmaker itself. So I, and I we mentioned this in the text, like if you want to build a, care, a kingdom in the desert or up in the, 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 the Arctic Circle or something like that, there's not going to be as much support. Um, <laughs> but we've there's certainly room in there for us to to look at perhaps expanding them as a campaign neutral expansion or something like that. Uh, we'll have to look into that. But at this point, they're going to be pretty much, they're going to be in the adventure itself. And even if um, we don't do something like that, there are a slew of third-party publishers who um, will be able to to do that sort of thing. I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but uh, yeah. yeah. I think there is another, a reason we went with legendary games uh, to do this conversion. I think one other thing to to, to kind of uh, point out is that the um, because you uh, the kingdom earns experience. Right now, we have the experience, you know, in in the campaign itself. So, in, as you're going through Kingmaker and you're running into events that affect your kingdom, you get experience for that, not just for yourself but for your kingdom sometimes. And uh, so if you were to take these rules and uh, add them to a different campaign, you'd have to figure out those experience points and where the kingdom is going to get its experience points. So, you know, any, any, you know, if you did a Rise of the Rune Lords or whatever, you'd have to figure out how that's going to interact. And, and, and that, so there's needs to be a system built to, uh, you know, tell the GM how to give experience points to a kingdom and then, that isn't in here. It's specifically we already gave you all the experience points for your kingdom. Yeah. Uh, Carbond Metric asks if any of the Alcat characters are going to be added to the product. Yeah, that was the 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 companion book that we were talking about earlier. It's a 128 page hardcover that will add all of the player characters from the Alcat game. Some of them will get larger footprint than others, but they're all going to be NPCs that you can you can bring into the game as additional you know, characters to help rule your kingdom or, or villains to fight off against. They're not going to be presented as NPC. They're not, excuse me, they're not going to be presented as pre-gens for your characters. Although you could take, you as the GM could take those and kind of help the, the PCs build them up if, if you wanted to do it that way. Uh, Nightfox19 asks, XP, fast, normal, or slow? So 
this is a sandbox game. And if you were to basically run this adventure, as I'm looking at it right now, using the, the medium or the normal XP progression, and your player characters did every single thing, you're going to hit 20th level, no problem. Probably well in advance of the points at which you probably should be. If you're going slow, you're still going to hit 20th level, no problem. There's so much content in this thing that um, you really can pick what um, what your preferred XP method of building up is best for your table and then play what parts make sense, what parts don't make sense. Um, since it's a sandbox, it's, it's actually kind of tricky for us to say, level up your characters here or here or here or here. So instead of the classic, what you see in our Adventure Pass uh, and Advancement track, where it's like, you need to be fourth level before starting this, you need fifth level before starting that, we're going to be doing that part by part in each of the chapters to kind of let GMs know you should be this level before attacking this and should be this level before that. But it's a sandbox. And part of the fun of a sandbox is, you know, getting in over your head, you know, for third level characters going into a hex that has like six hydras in it or something like that. They panic, they run away, they gain levels, they come back later and they have this this sensation of, you know, progression and accomplishment that they can take care of a problem they couldn't handle early on. So it's really, really Sometimes pretty. The sandbox is full of quicksand is what you're saying. Oh, yeah, there's there is, in fact, quicksand in this adventure path in at least one encounter area. So that is definite. Um, uh, Bard Colin asks, are there any interesting player options available in the adventure path, such as campaign-specific backgrounds, archetypes, and ancestries? Um, uh, we did mention that th there are specific backgrounds you can pick that will help kind of set your character's kind of background in there. That's going to be built into the very start of the adventure path. We don't have any archetypes or ancestries in particular in this adventure path presented as player options. But it will support a lot of the stuff that um, you want to play as, you know, just from the core rules or from the advanced player's guide or other products that we haven't yet announced. So stay tuned over the next couple of days. Um, yeah, well, I, can't think of, I can't think of anything that we're releasing in any of our other product lines um, that wouldn't really fit here. Yeah. I mean, you could you could pretty much run PCs of any, any ancestry or... Um, class or archetype yeah. without much trouble anchor 89 actually has a great question will this will the second edition kingmaker be available for purchase again i think that's a lisa question i think i know the answer so the the question is will the second edition this second edition kingmaker thing we're we're uh, uh making be available outside of the crowdfunding is that yes yeah yes of course we're gonna uh, print it and sell it through all of our distribution channels, Paizo.com, hobby stores, bookstores, Amazon, you name it. They'll all, they'll all have it. So it's it's just like Rise of the Rune Lords and Curse of the Crimson Throne will be a, uh, an evergreen we'll keep in print for a long, long time. Some yeah, of the yeah. accessories were uh, were uh, Kickstarter yes. were crowdfunding exclusives, but um, but the the bulk of the products will be available um, absolutely down the road, so that um, you know maybe the the price tag at the time we were running the campaign was too much for you for someone to go all in. Um, you know that that stuff will be available later for, for the most part. Uh, Kemlack asks uh, if a kingdom is a character in settlement zones or items. What are armies? Um, it's a good question. I'm not really sure yet. I think armies, you could probably say, are analogous to your character's cohorts and followers, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say um, henchmen, but yeah. Yeah, henchmen, yeah. 
uh, summoned summoned minions. Uh, but the the kingdom rules through mass sure. combat they they do melt in. You use the same kind of kingdom actions to build things. You use your kingdom or exp you know downtime or exploration mode to move your armies around. So all of that stuff is integrated together. So it's not a completely you know outside the system. And your same characters. You know, certain leadership roles are associated with certain kind of activities and certain investments in your kingdom go into certain things. So if your kingdom is good at engineering, you'll be good at building walls. If your kingdom is, you know, good at exploring, you'll be good at, you know, having, you know, scouts out there. So it is all very much tied together. So it is still kind of an extension of what your kingdom as character is all about and what they can do. Cool. Uh, Talon Silverman asks, how well will this adventure be for using as a template if we want to build kingdoms elsewhere and will there be rules for warring on other kingdoms yeah you'll be able to use this adventure path as a template for that for sure for certain um there's also a question here uh will settlements follow the same stat blocks that we followed in other official materials such as them having levels etc um they will all of the settlements in the adventure path will have stat blocks like we've we've talked about in game master guide and then our other adventures the settlements themselves will have levels uh, tied to your kingdom's level. It's going to be a lot more detailed than what we've done in, in Game Master Guide, though. So, but it will it will sync up with that pretty well. Um, Gloomfall asks, will these rules be portable enough to use in homebrew campaigns, or they're very specific to Kingmaker? Um, they're absolutely useful in homebrew campaigns, but the focus of them is building a kingdom in a sort of a temperate zone with like forests and mountains and hills and swamps. If you are building a kingdom in like a desert or um, somewhere really kind of that doesn't fit into the same sort of area, you're going to have a, you're going to be able to look what we did with, with our section and expand on it pretty easily in the same way that if you look at like a, uh, a wizard and you'll see that they've got all these different spells, you can still make new spells for your wizard and expand on that for your homebrew. So yeah, you will be able to expand on it relatively easily, I suspect. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what people do with uh, the rules and everything on uh, the message board for sure. Um, Voice Voiceless Trout asks uh, about the troop template. Uh, the troop template is not gonna be part of this, uh, this book. Um, if we have an encounter where you're fighting a lot of people at once, it's gonna be handled through the, the narrative warfare mass combat system. Uh, Kemlock, do I anticipate the Kingdom spreadsheet might be useful fan creation for the second edition version? Um, perhaps it's going to be easier to run than like a, we, some of the feedback we got from the first edition was you need a spreadsheet to, to optimize your characters, kingdoms, and all that. It's going to be easier to do that, but it's going to be a lot like a player character, just like in in Hell's <laughs> Rebels, the the rebellion was treated sort of as an extra character with levels, just as in Starfinder, your starship is treated as a character that every levels up. Your kingdom in Kingmaker is going to be a character that's going to be leveling up. So it'll certainly be something that uh, you can use in the same way that you use spreadsheets or other apps or whatever to build your and track your, your player characters as well. Um, Gloomfall asks, will there be any sort of food supply management such as farms and other stuff? It'll be in there, yeah. It's not going to be super, super detailed, but you will have to keep track of um, your kingdom's consumption. You're going to have to build farms in order to handle, like, if you have a lot of, like, armies and, and so forth. So there's going to be a lot of different areas you can you can expand and spend your, your kingdom's resources on. One of the things I really wanted to, to touch on real quick before we're out of time here is um, in first edition, the underlying philosophy of the kingdom was kind of based on 
the fact that in first edition your character's power as the adventure is tied really strongly to the items that you gather and that means how much gold you gather as you adventure so you go on adventures you get a lot of treasure you spend it on on uh upgrading all your items and stuff like that and second edition doesn't have that philosophy as much so in pathfinder the thing the path in the, in the second edition of kingmaker it's going to be a lot more focused on your kingdom's level as kind of the the, the arbiter of what sorts of powers and abilities and um options your kingdom is going to have so there's going to be a lot less of like building 16 graveyards in your your cities to spam a specific you know trait that you want to get just up into the astronomical numbers uh numbers aren't going to stack as high as they did in first edition and in fact it's you can thank mark seifter for for hounding me on that graveyard thing in this one there's a specific event that if you have too many graveyards in your settlements you're you're in deep trouble it's the undead uprising event and uh you don't want to have a lot of graveyards if the undead get you know uppity um let's see here unless you're a party of necromancers in which case maybe you're going for that yep oh a mystic uh mystic mystic pet medicine i don't know how you're saying it but asked is this a 20 level adventure path like the other second edition ones yeah absolutely we're adding a a, a big high level dungeon underneath candlemere for i think it's like 15th 16th level characters we're adding a kind of a final chapter where sort of inspired by what Alcat did with the end of the game where you deal with somebody beyond even Narissa. I'm trying to keep the spoilers a little light, but it's maybe fighting demigod type stuff. But um, there is absolute, this, this campaign is set up for your characters and your kingdom to go from first level all the way to 20th level. And there's going to be plenty of op- XP in there for you to, uh, to farm up and get there. So absolutely. Um, whew, let's see. Uh, Zertigan99 asks, how will NPCs from Alcat that have classes and ancestries not available for a second edition be detailed? detailed? Like Tiefling, Kineticist Twins, uh, Octavia, Regangar, or uh, Megas, or um, uh, character options that aren't yet available. So those characters are player characters in the Alcat game. They're not player characters in this version. They're NPCs that travel with you. And uh, they might go on adventures with you, uh, they might stay at home and just run, you know, your kingdom's treasury, or they might end up being monsters you fight, you know, if you get in a clash against one of them. Some of them, there's some of them are evil, some of them are good, some are chaotic, some are lawful. And as a result, since they're not presented as player characters, we have more room to uh, present their options in this game in a way that uh, doesn't require an entire ream of, you know, player character options. Um but it's also a place for us to sort of like test the waters for some of those things to see how people, you know, maybe are interested in those sorts of things. So um, since NPCs in Pathfinder 2nd Edition are created as monsters, we aren't really limited by whether or not a character option is available. But again, if people really like what we do with, with some of these uh, characters, that'll, help, that'll let us know perhaps which classes we want to look at doing in the future. Ooh, let's see here. Anybody else on the panel have any closing comments as we start to wrap up and run out of time? Oh, I, I do just have one thing um, that um, <clears throat> while Alcat was, I, I, I reached out to them to ask if they had any news or any updates on the Kingmaker game that we could um, announce here. They, they did not give me permission to say anything, but they did say that an announcement is coming 
And for folks who are interested in the future of that game, in whatever form it may take, um, should uh, keep an eye on Deep Silver, the game's publisher's uh, social media channels, and watch um, the... uh, There's a a game convention, I guess, happening next week. Um, I I don't remember which which convention it is, but but there there will be news soon. so um keep keep an eye on that that's all that they allowed me to say and i don't want to jeopardize our relationship by saying more but oh sycadrix has a quick question can you speak how exploration was updated and improved that's actually in the game master guide um we knew that we were going to be doing a uh adventure path um with this involved and that's why you'll see a lot of Kingmaker flavored monsters showing up in Vestry 2. That's also why the exploration rules are in Game Master Guide. So um, you can check that out right now to see how we're going to be handling the exploration issues in uh, Kingmaker. It'll be expanded on with new options and new abilities, particularly in the companion guide where you've got new options for like um, maybe uh, Ekandayo has some sort of ability, I think, to um, track giants. Or I forget what exactly this. I haven't done much work on that book yet. Should be but, trolls. Uh, Trolls, yeah. But uh, definitely there's going to be uh, some... uh, Exploration is going to be a big deal in in this uh, adventure path. Um, uh, Cayman Kinley Moon has asked for me to explain more about mass combat. Um, That's not something that I've really gotten into yet in the development. I'm, I'm still in the middle of building this whole thing up, but it's basically, as we mentioned earlier, it's going to be handled in the format of um... I guess you could look at it almost as a cross between a downtime event and a hazard. So like it's got its own little sort of stat block and you make a roll and you apply your army's resources and everything to the, and or your kingdom's uh, resources and to determine what's, what's going on. It's, it's pretty streamlined as far as I remember. It's also, I think going to be one of the big uh, relief values, battles we have in there to make things fit in the book itself. So, um, I will uh, definitely be talking more about that in a, in the weeks to to come uh, online. Either you ask me on the Ask James thread at Paizo, or or we'll have more like like blog posts and stuff talking about things as we as we get along closer to the end of the process. Um, that, yeah, that was, in writing the adventures, one thing that you know since we had all of the rules kind of you know in place, I was able to go back through and weave some of that stuff in much earlier in the adventure path. So. And as written, because some of the things kind of didn't come up. You know, when I was writing Breath of the Kings originally, we didn't have the uh, the mass combat rules quite finished yet. Um, right. But now with these all in place, all the way back as early as I think either Season of the Bloom or maybe even toward the end of Rivers Run Red, there are mass combat opportunities. So it's not something that is supposed to only happen at the end game. And same thing with here, the kingdom building stuff is it's all integrated throughout to to really make it all make sense, make it all flow. Some things that were sort of you know, halfway in between, like the attack on Tatzelford in a Blood for Blood right. was kind of recast as a um, as a mass combat event. And and it, it's sort of a hyper, like sort of both at downtime and then also kind of an exploration mode in terms of how it fits into the flow of a Pathfinder 2 action sequence. And, and you still have stuff like Wandering Monsters out in the wilderness, but some of them may also then impact you go into a hex that has a certain encounter or that and made things more dynamic and made things just work better in a way that 
that really kind of helped things to, to flow. So it wasn't just you roll a die, you meet a monster, that's the end of it. And that was something we kind of built out. So yeah, I guess like kind of a segue from mass combat, but to encounters that aren't just on or off. And there's a lot of guidance in there, both sample things that are made, ready to use and drop in your campaign at any moment, but also advice on how to make your existing encounters more fun and more connected. So it's not just the, I explore a hex, I fight a monster, and I'm done for the day. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Killing Jay asks, uh, any, are the companions meant to be permanently follow the PCs so they have enough to justification or reason to turn the party down? Um, so we are assuming that, just as any, any tabletop game, that the player, that you've got a party of four to six players in this group. And um, that is, you know, a handful enough for most GMs to, to wrangle in the first place. So the expectation for the companions is that they will not be accompanying your party on every single encounter, that they will maybe encounter, uh, they, they will maybe figure in certain encounters, there will be specific quests that they will be tied to that they will accompany you on. But it's really set up so that the GM gets to decide just what their footprint is. If you're, say, running this game for one player or two players, you can pick some of these companions to fill in those gaps and and to provide additional player characters, GM-controlled player characters. But the basic assumption is that it's your players, your four to six, tab your table of PCs, are going to be the characters in this uh, setup. Um, I see a lot of people asking for an Iron Gods 2 Pathfinder 2nd Edition. That would be delightful. I had a lot of fun working on Iron Gods back in uh, back in the day. Uh, there is <laughs> that actually reminds me that uh, the region that Kingmaker takes place in is right next door to Numeria. So there's a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of Numeria stuff going on in the upper corner. Um, it's not going to be full on lasers and and you know spaceships, but it'll be there if you if you go looking for it. Mm -hmm. And two of the um, companions have a background that ties them to um, to Numeria they, as well, to the they, technically. In, in the video game, they do, but uh, that's Ragongar and Octavia. They were, they were, they are, they do not have the full. They have right, a one right, page entry. We didn't hit those uh, stretch goals. So, so there's whether or not their storyline is going to be there's content that we could put in there, but it's kind of going to depend on like page counts and stuff like that. It's probably going to be pretty. Um, focused on what they are and what they can offer to the group rather than have a full-on backstory for them. Sure. What There was there was actually a Jason turned over um, version with uh, the Gearsmen in there, and I had, I, I'm had i back, backing those out because robots no. have a... Sorry. Uh, spoilers. Uh, robots have such a specific set of rules and the way they work in the game that I'm... I don't want the... I don't want them to to make their debut in the form of one little encounter off optional mm -hmm. encounter off to the side. They need a they need a much stronger kind of debut in second edition. So there's some robot type stuff going on in here, but it's more in the lines of like use this construct and as a GM, you rather than say it's shooting out a disintegration breath weapon, like if it's an iron golem, rather than say it's breathing out a cloud of poison gas, say that it's got like a, a smokestack coming out of its mouth and it's just <laughs> belching out. Uh, toxic nanites or something like that. You can do a lot of that stuff by just changing the uh, the flavor of what you as a GM are describing you know, going on in the setting. You know, a wizard with a, a wand of scorching ray can just as easily be like an assassin with a laser gun if you just describe that thing as more like a little pistol type thing. Um, 
there was a kingdom event in, uh, I think at the end of the beginning of War of the River Kings, a sort of a right. little sidetrack for building a trade route to Numeria yeah. and trying to that, kind of connect that in. We'll see if I, that makes it. That one, I think, I'd, yeah. I think that one is... One of, it's so, still there. It's still there. Oh, it's still there? Okay, cool. Yay! Yep. As the city product, uh, you know, until we've shipped it to the printer, um, things things are still in flux. We might find that we run out of space and we have to cut stuff. And mm-hmm. so something we're mentioning here may not make it into the final product. You know, we, we right. hate to do that, but that's uh, how it goes sometimes. Yep. Uh, D&D, that's my bad... Asks how political will this adventure path be? Are we dealing with citizens more than rivaling kingdoms? Uh, it's both. The kingdom event itself uh, has all sorts. There's, there's like <clears throat> someone mentioned in the chat. There's like a plague event. There's an undead uprising. There's uh, visiting celebrities. There's chances to establish trade routes and uh, diplomatic relations with other other groups, be they other nations or even like the soot scale kobolds. You can set up a trade route with the soot scale kobolds, um, and. Uh, at the same point, your kingdom is going to have things like um, uh, like unrest and ruins. Like you could have corruption or crime or stuff build up in your kingdoms as a result of, of political disasters. So that is definitely going to be something that is part of the game. How much of it you want to play into your game is really left to the jam and the players to, to choose. Yeah, that was one thing it built in with the idea of you build up your your kingdom stats, but there also are negative things that can happen that can make you lose stat points. Kind of you know similar to like an ability damage in first edition that that kind of corruption and crime and physical decay can make your kingdom get worse. Going through a war actually damages your kingdom in a permanent way, and you have to kind of build it back up from there. That's that was actually an interesting design challenge on my side because <clears throat> um, a lot of what you guys were doing in uh, updating the stuff. You started this like bef- right about the point when the game came out, right, Jason? Yeah, before, or even before the game came out. Before that. Yeah, before. So the fact that there's not really anything in second edition that is is ability damage um, made a uh, we have we had to do something really kind of different rather than say your kingdom's economy goes down uh, and is penalized. Instead, the inverse of that, your economy's I think it was um, what's the opposite of I think it's decay. I think yeah. it was uh, would would go up. So while your 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 economy still stay stays at a plus eight, if your if your decay is building up at one, two, three, four, five, it'll offset your economy's ability to function. So it's a it's a pretty interesting way to uh, to handle that without getting into the complexities of like negative numbers and all that that sort of shenanigan. Somebody um, loved you the traction here. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um. Wow, lots of lots of questions just scrolling through and trying to keep up. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, one of the things that I'm the most excited about seeing this in print is just how robust uh, the rules for like exploration and downtime are. It doesn't take up a huge footprint in the core rulebook, but what the design team has set up there is so perfect for detailing how a kingdom works that it's just... It works so much more elegantly, I think, in second edition. And <clears throat> one of the uh, goals, uh, this is really something I, that uh, um, Vic Wirtz brought up and kind of made sure that we, we kept in our heads while, while we were working on it, is that the kingdom rules need to be as self-contained as possible so that you can play them, whether you're playing Kingmaker with second edition Pathfinder, 
first edition Pathfinder, fifth edition, Dread, Checkers, uh, Laser Tag, whatever. You can still use these rules. They're, they're self-contained enough that you can play them with whatever version of, of role-playing that you want to go with. So anyway, it looks like uh, we are about ready to transition into the next panel. Uh, thank you uh, for helping me navigate the uh, intricacies and political uh, shenanigans of Kingmaker, Lisa, Mark, and Jason. And uh, thank, thank you. you, everybody, for heading out to PaizoCon. And make sure to, I hey, think, coming up Pizocon. next. Yeah, exactly. Well, coming up next, we've got um, uh, what? Uh, Starfinder stuff, right? Yeah, Secrets of the Starfinder universe. So I'm going to actually stick around for that and see if they're like doing anything that I'm not sure about. There's plenty of it. So cool. Uh, anybody have any last-minute uh, things before we go? Buy the adventure. It's totally awesome. And Yeah, that's a good last-minute thing. Cool. Well, thanks again. Thank you. Thanks, babe. Bye. The No Direction Network's PaizoCon Online 2020 seminar coverage was made possible by the No Direction Con team, consisting of Jefferson J. Thacker, also known as Param, Ryan Costello, Alexander Agunis, Vanessa Hoskins, Randall Meyer, Dustin Knight, and John Godin. Special thanks to Paizo's social media producer, Peyton Smith, and the entire Paizo staff. For more great Pathfinder, Starfinder, and other RPG news, reviews, podcasts, and blogs, check out nodirectionpodcast.com.